Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Biden's first presidential trip to Israel and Saudi Arabia is over, but big questions remain. Did he seal any deals? What exactly is the U.S. vision for engagement with the Middle East? And ancient cities, breathtaking landscapes and booming cities. What stands out about China's region of Xinjiang? I spoke to three international students who visited to find out. Welcome to The Point, an opinion show coming to you live from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. We will not walk away and leave a vacuum to be filled by China, Russia or Iran, so said U.S. President Joe Biden while wrapping up his first Middle East trip as U.S. President. However, the trip has been described as a bumpy ride with many landmines. What made he take this trip? Did he get what he wanted? What's the impact of this trip for the region and beyond? Joining me today from Shanghai is Professor Huang Jing, Distinguished Professor and Director of American and Pacific Studies Institute at Shanghai International Studies University. And on the line from Abu Dhabi, Ibrahim Hashem, Strategist and Asia Global Fellow at Asia Global Institute. Gentlemen, welcome to The Point. Uh, Professor Huang, in 2019, U.S. President said, uh, um, then Biden said the U.S. will make Saudi Arabia pay the price and make them the pariah that they are after the Khashoggi murder case. He also tweeted that human rights should be at the core of America's engagement with the world. Yet in his latest Washington Post op-ed article, which was published on July the 9th, right before his trip, he said um, this trip comes at a vital time for the region and it will advance important American interests. Professor Huang, um, it seems that the Biden administration or President Biden is taking a very pragmatic approach here. Is he doing the right thing or wrong thing? You know, from the, the point of human rights, of course, he's doing the wrong thing. We know that the murder of uh, journalist Kasoshi is a gross violation of human rights uh, because it's a very bad act and uh, Saudi Arabia was uh, condemned by the whole world and of course including the United States. Now President Biden went back on his own words and went to the Middle East and uh, it seems that not only he not on, only did he forget all of this uh, you know uh, this bad sense this murder of this journalist but also he actually uh, to some extent uh, begged the Saudis to do things that he wanted to do. This is really uh, from my point of view ridiculous and also it demonstrated the double standards and uh, by the administration on the issue of human rights. Is he doing the right thing for American national interests? I don't think so. It may serve Biden's interests or the interests of Biden administration, but not uh, the interests of the United States of America as a nation and also as a so-called leader on human rights issues. Mr. Hashem, on the line, what do you think of the apparent contradiction of Washington's uh, position or the Biden administration or Biden himself on this issue? Uh, well, uh, it's, uh, it's not only human rights uh, uh, that really uh, uh, the administration officials uh, talked about in the run-up to the summit. Um, some officials talked about political reforms, uh, values uh, in their discussions. Um, so um, a lot of people in the Arab world uh, were a bit confused what they exactly you know, uh, meant by these uh, words. And of course, um, uh, the murder of uh, the journalist Khashoggi, a Saudi citizen, 
it was uh, something tragic. Um, uh, everybody considered it uh, tragic. And uh, already actions are taken to prevent uh, such an uh, act uh, to happen uh, again. Um, so the Saudis, uh, um, the Crown Prince of uh, Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, in his uh, uh, remarks, um, he basically said, we need to intensify our cooperation uh, based on UN uh, Charter that stipulates countries' sovereignty, values, and uh, territorial integrity uh, should be uh, respected and interference. So he literally said interference in the internal affairs of other uh, countries uh, should not be uh, allowed. And the Hashafti uh, murder was a domestic matter and it was already taken care of by the legal uh, system in Saudi Arabia. So repeatedly bringing the same subject again uh, was detrimental to, uh, to creating um, a positive atmosphere for uh, the summit that you know, took uh, place uh, uh, yesterday or the day before yesterday. So, Mr. Hashem, what do you think is the significance of uh, Mr. Biden's visit 18 months after he took office? Uh, well, uh, the Arab world, uh, um, the people and the leaders uh, for a period of time have been um, thinking about their relations with the United States, especially over the last 20 years. Um, uh, their relations have gone through a lot of ups and, and downs. And uh, before coming to the summit, a lot of people were uh, talking about how to strengthen or how to reboot uh, this relation. And um, um, according to some sources, the Arab world, the Arab countries were not really initially uh, included in the itinerary. It's, it's only after the Ukraine crisis, after the energy markets uh, started being disrupted as a result of the sanctions uh, taken against uh, Russia, um, that the Arab world, one of the major uh, oil-producing uh, uh, regions mm -hmm. and also one of the major uh, gas-producing uh, regions, okay. it started becoming really relevant to the American administration. Right. Um, Professor Huang, let me get your take. It, you know, um, Mr. Biden says we're not walking away. We don't want there to be a power vacuum to be filled by Russia or China or Iran. But he didn't visit this region in the first 18 months of his presidency. And if it is true, what our guest said just now is because of the Ukrainian crisis bringing up the prices of oil, then he's thinking of visiting Arab countries. Then he, obviously the Biden administration does not seem to place Middle East on real uh, top of their agenda. Yes, and when, when President Biden says that the United States uh, did not walk away from Middle East. I think that's just a uh, justification for his trip. Just like the previous guest said, only after, you know, uh, Russia-Ukraine uh, war that United States with its allies has this kind of all-in sanction against Russia. But the sanction is not as effective as it desired because Russia as a major oil and gas product producers, you know, a sanction has to be effective in this regard. And the Middle East, especially uh, Saudi and other Arab Arabic countries, are the major producers. And but we know that all the countries in the Middle East, including America's allies, Israel, refuse to join the sanction to follow up of the sanctions, which of course uh, has been very effective on your sanctions on the failure of the sanctions. That's why this trip is to, I think, the major purpose for Joe Biden's trip is to to ask uh, the Middle East countries, especially those oil producers, to join the United States to sanction as Russia, or at least 
increase the product's energy of oil so that uh, to make the, the, the Russia's oil is less demanded than by the other countries. Uh, but I don't think he has achieved what he wants to do. It's, yeah, let's talk a little bit more on this point. Um, the White House in this statement said the U.S. welcomes Saudi Arabia's commitment to support global oil market and that both sides decide to consult regularly, but no concrete results were announced. Uh, and then on the Saudi side, the Saudi crown prince said that his country would increase its oil production to 13 million barrels maximum a day, but he also stressed that his country would be unable to increase output any further to meet the increased demand for oil amid the global energy crisis. For people's knowledge, currently Saudi Arabia produces 11 million barrels a day. So, uh, Professor Huang, once again, how do you interpret Saudi Arabia's response to American demand? As the oil producers, it is vital in Saudi's interest and the vital interest to maintain the stability of oil price. The kind of up and downs will not serve Saudi's interests, will undermine or damage its interests. So for Saudis, the number one important thing that it was to maintain the oil price in a kind of stable level. But of course, right now the, the oil price increased sharply because of sanctions, you know, levied by the United States uh, on Russia, which of course is not a bad thing for Saudis. So Saudis worry that if Saudis increase the production dramatically as the United States wants, they will send a signal, a wrong signal from Saudi's perspective, a wrong signal to the market that the oil will be amply supplied, increase, the supply will be increased. So therefore, will drive the price down. Worse than that, it will make the price unstable, up and down, mm. which of course, it's okay. not in Saudi's interest at all. Okay. Um, Mr. Hashem, how do you read into the subtle rejection, basically, from Saudi Arabia to America's demand? And did President Biden not foresee the kind of response he's going to get? According to the uh, foreign minister of Saudi Arabia, the oil um, uh, demand increase um, was not really included as an item on the agenda. And um, the. Uh, do you really believe in that? Well, uh, this is uh, literally what the foreign minister of Saudi Arabia said yesterday um, after the uh, the summit was uh, over, and he he said it like it was not included in the um, uh, discussions, and he said um, uh, he talked about the, uh, the the decision to increase the production uh, to 13 million barrels uh, per day by uh, the end of this uh, uh, decade. Uh, this is a decision that has been already taken um, 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 a long time ago, and it's not really part of the discussions of the uh, summit. And it's, not, it's got nothing to do uh, with the discussion. And also, he highlighted that the uh, uh, oil supply increase or decrease is going to be regulated through OPEC+. Plus. And in that grouping, Russia is a major player. So Saudi Arabia and Russia, both of them, are the largest uh, uh, oil uh, 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 exporters and also the largest oil suppliers within the group. So without really a discussion with the rest of the members of OPEC+, Plus, that would be impossible or it, would be, it wouldn't be uh, uh, realistic of the Saudis to go and do it unilaterally based on the demand okay. or request coming from the United States. All right. Uh 
Time very limited. Professor Huang, any comment in response to that? And also to this new thing called, I, well, relatively new thing called I2U2, uh, which is dubbed uh, Quad in West Asia. What is your reaction? Two points really quickly, please. I think the hegemony of United States is declining. That's for true. And uh, Saudi Arabia used to be a very firm ally of the United States, but now in Saudis stand up against U.S. interests, like its own interests and interests of that region. I think that's a very good demonstration of that. Okay. Uh, concerning the I2U2, do you have something to say? It's it's a grouping of uh, the United States, Saudi, uh, UAE, India, and Israel. They had their very first meeting. No, I think that's all kind of talk, empty talk, with not much, you know, <laughs> uh, not much really substance in it, yes. All right, we have to wait and see. Um, many thanks to Professor Huang Jing, Distinguished Professor and Director of American and Pacific Studies Institute at Shanghai International Studies University, and Ibrahim Hashem joining us on the line, Strategist and Asia Global Fellow at Asia Global Institute. We're going to take a short break and when we come back, a trip like no other. I spoke with three university students from abroad who got to visit China's Xinjiang region. What were their impressions and what surprised them the most? Stay with us. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point. Xinjiang is a place where people from different ethnic groups have lived together for millennia. Earlier this month, 20 international students made a seven-day trip to the region. For most of them, it was the first time. What stood out to them about the region's mix of different cultures and traditions? What made them call this place inspiring? I spoke with three of them from Zhejiang Normal University in South China. I'm pleased to be joined by three of the students, Mazumde Oscar from Bangladesh, Mackenzie Shakel Elviska Elisha from St. Vincent and Grenadines in the Caribbean, and Eunice Shibini from Algeria. The warmest welcome to all of you. First of all, let me go to Oscar. Oscar, tell us about the preparation for this trip. How did it come about? We started on 2nd July for Xinjiang and we were almost 20 students from 19 countries and we started from Hangzhou to Ulumuchi. So our first city was the provincial city of Xinjiang Ulumuchi. We were we, we, we are there for two days. Uh, it's almost one night and one day. And we have been to the Xinjiang Museum and they are called the local market Tapa Chia. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so when we are in the museum, when we was in the museum, we have saw a lot of um, cultural, um, cultural and ancient things of Xinjiang, like their cultural diversity, mm -hmm. how they come from past to present, and how actually Xinjiang, Xinjiang is a multinationality place. Where, where multinationality comes and mixed with the mixed culture. Yeah, so basically it's a, it's a, it's a field trip for the summer to help you, to help you uh, see the place and uh, get a feeling of this place. Is yeah, that right? Yeah. yeah. Shaquille, what stories about this trip uh, did you share with your family and friends after you come back from the trip? What impressed you the most on the personal level? Okay, so I think what impressed me the most was the different multi-ethnic groups that they have there in um, Xinjiang and the fact that they were, they're all together 
and um, living peacefully. And I loved, I think we went to Pokaya Museum where we saw um, there was an area that was like a desert and they were able to transform this desert into a green land where the, the people and the army all came together to work and like create a paradise for the people there. I found that to be very inspiring. So you had time to discover not just the diversity of the culture in Xinjiang, but also the economic development and uh, efforts to transform the ecological system. But Eunice, uh, let me go to you because you are a student of music. Uh, you study music and dance. And it must have been a very interesting trip for you because Wega uh, music is uh, world famous and Wega people are very versatile. They love singing, they love dancing, and they, they love to use you know, um, dance to express their feeling uh, whenever they feel like it. So um, what kind of uh, takeaway did you get from the experience, uh, either the Wega music or the Wega instrument or the way they dance? So, yeah, that's uh, very interesting because in Xinjiang, there is people who are dancing and singing everywhere, like everywhere. And uh, I was more interested in uh, Uyghurs' uh, music, like uh, Sharmukamu. Like uh, this kind of music, I heard about it before, but uh, just in some articles and uh, in some lectures in our university. But uh, uh, when I went to Ulumutsi and we saw how this uh, music is performed, and uh, there was a professor there, he was explaining to us uh, in the same time uh, the meaning of this uh, music and the meaning of uh, the lyrics because we don't understand the Uyghur's language and uh, it was very, very interesting to see the performance uh, uh, just uh, in the real world. So uh, there is a dance, there is instrumental music, uh, there is singing. So it's very interesting and uh, I saw just different instruments. There is just a lot of uh, traditional instruments uh, like dutar uh, and some percussion instruments uh, like um, ruwap and uh, it's, it's very interesting to me and I asked some uh, questions uh, uh, about these instruments, about the transcription of this music uh, because it was uh, like uh, inherited orally, like it's uh, oral tradition like mm -hmm. us in, uh, our, in North Africa. So uh, it's, it was very interesting to see this music, how it is performed in the real world. Mm -hmm. Oscar, what, what is your experience? What impressed you the most about uh, the trip? So when uh, we went to Tiashi district in Kashi and we saw a water solution industry, we know that uh, in the past Xinjiang has lack of healthy water, lack of, uh, lack of water. So when we've been there, the water, uh, the water solution industry has totally solved that water problem in Xinjiang. We have seen there that the local people are saying that now they have no lack of water and the water is very, uh, very healthy for them. So like, uh, like China government brings a new life for Xinjiang people, new hope. Uh, Shaquille, what was uh, your biggest, I mean, you talked about economic development as well. Um, did you feel that uh, this was something that you didn't expect at all that, or that it was something that uh, um, you can learn and you, the, or, country, or people in other places can potentially 
um, draw experience from and uh, help with their development? Well, at first, it was definitely something I did not expect. Um, but the the businesses, the company, and as well as the people, they truly they surprised me a lot. And I find I feel that it's something that other countries can truly learn from. It they really put a lot of effort. And it wasn't just one person, it was everyone working together to try and make a better livelihood for the people of Xinjiang. So I think it's something I've, I could definitely relate to my country needs as well. Hmm. Um, in general, in general, in terms of uh, stability or, or people's feeling, walking on the streets, going anywhere, I wonder, Eunice, for instance, how did you feel? Did you feel safe? Did you feel that you can go anywhere, talk to people on the street, and uh, there was a general sense of uh, ease or still a certain nervousness or tenseness in the air? What was your experience there? Okay, good. So we didn't had any issue of uh, security or uh, something like that. So we were uh, walking in the streets uh, freely and uh, we, we were talking to people uh, freely. And I remember uh, th there was one, uh, one woman, she went and said to me, she, she was talking to me in Uyghur language and I, I don't understand Uyghur language. Some professor came and he translated to me what she said you just said that you're you're the same as my uh, as my son you look like my son so <laughs> and uh, i just uh, felt very very good in uh, Xinjiang, even if it was very very quick so because we visited a lot of uh, cities and a lot of uh, places so we were uh, very quick in our uh, trip but uh, we saw people we saw different people we saw uh, han people we saw uyghurs are living all together and uh, we learned more about uh, the history of Xinjiang and the multi, uh, multicultural uh, aspects, multi-religions and uh, multi-ethnic groups in the, this area. And uh, this is uh, really positive to me uh, to see uh, these different uh, ethnic groups are uh, living uh, all together. Very interesting to me. Yeah, I'm sure you have heard, you know, a, a lot of accusations made against Xinjiang, horrible things being said about how the people were treated there or how the people were treated there as employees, you know, that they are forced to work and so on and so forth, or that the, their culture is being, you know, cleansed and stuff like that. So having been there, I understand it was a very short trip. You only get to scratch the surface to say, to say the, the most, but uh, did you have a better understanding? Did it help clear some of the uncertainty or some of the questions you may have had before you go there, uh, Eunice? Well, I heard a lot of uh, negative stuff about uh, Xinjiang before, but um, after being there, I just discovered that uh, there is no like cultural or religious uh, kind of issues. Maybe there is like some security uh, security issues, but this is uh, like national security issues. It's not uh, kind of religious or cultural problem because we saw, we saw that uh, they are like they are telling people all their history, like not not just uh, kind of religion or something like that. Deeper Xinjiang's history and uh, all the different group ethnic that survived there or different uh, culture, uh, cultures or religions. So I didn't show any problem uh, with that. Basically, when you mean uh, security, you mean ex extra strict measures um, in terms of keeping any possible uh, incidents from happening. 
So a lot of security to make sure that things are fine, to make sure that everybody is safe. Is that what you mean? Uh, yes, yes, uh, because we heard a lot of stories about uh, Xinjiang, some dark uh, years of uh, Xinjiang. Mm. And uh, right now, what uh, the measures are taken to fight against all these uh, events mm. or all uh, aggressions. Uh, so it's going to be so hard and uh, not just uh, for the for the government, but for the people, it's going to be a little bit hard, too. So but uh, I think uh, but I'm, I feel more uh, positive uh, about that. Um, so, Oscar, if I were to ask you to sum up your trip in a nutshell, two, three sentences, how would you describe it? Actually, two or three sentences <laughs> is too short to describe my experience and the feelings. But I will, I will say that uh, Xinjiang is really a beautiful place. And the culture, the, the diversity of culture, the multi-ethnic culture, it's really amazed, amazed me a lot. And actually in the past and when, we, uh, when we, I am not in Xinjiang, so I have learned, uh, I have heard a lot of things about Xinjiang. Mm -hmm. But when I have been there, it totally makes me right now. I feel safe in Xinjiang. And, and we all when actually seven days is very short for us and when we are coming back we was very sad i know <laughs> because because yeah. because we 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 are feeling love xinjiang actually i think that's a that's a feeling that's shared by many people i had certainly the same feeling i didn't want to leave but uh, shaquille what was your experience in a you know in a few sentences i found xinjiang to be truly a beautiful place you know the mixture of the multi-ethnic groups um the people living together in harmony everyone working together for a better future um i feel it's a place i would definitely hope to visit again and i'm so thankful that i got the opportunity to actually witness it in real time you know so i think that's that's about it Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Oscar, Shaquille and Yunus. And I hope that more people are able to go to Xinjiang and see for themselves this beautiful place. Thank you very much once again. That was my interview with uh, Mazum De Oscar from Bangladesh, Mackenzie Shaquille, Eviska Elisha from St. Vincent and the Grenadines in the Caribbean, and Yunus Shabini from Algeria. They are all students from Zhejiang Normal University. With that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me, Lushin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lushin in Beijing. You've got the point. <laughs>